truth of what's happening because there is so much misinformation, deliberate misinformation, so much propaganda, so many news outlets that decide to just uh, quote police, for instance, without questioning them, listen to the PR of corporations, even though they're poisoning the planet, listen to politicians who, I don't think I need to name any names, but we all know, <laughs> and there's so many of them, I wouldn't even have the time to name all of them, people who say that they're for the people and then end up telling the people to be quiet and not to want to live a life free of fear and pain and violence. How dare we? How dare we? We should just listen, right? Listen to all these politicians, people in positions of power. Thankfully, more and more folks are not doing that anymore, which is good. Do have some news articles. Um, didn't prepare as much as usual, but we definitely do have some information to share. So I will be getting to that. And if I'd start off with something um, of the up uplifting note, which might seem counterintuitive, however, I think it's super crucial just to recognize what's happening around the world, and also a reminder that there are movements that are constantly happening and actions that are happening that a lot of us don't know about. Uh, we have to seek them out and or hear about them from other people because. Mainstream media, new, you know, news outlets—they don't—they don't, they don't want to remind us that when we come together, we can we can push back and win rights. Like in France, for instance, the, they were trying to pass this stupid fucking bill. I'll summarize best I can. That was uh, going to make it illegal to record police looking bad, which I guess is—I mean, how can you not do that? Just like hold up a camera and be like, "Oh wow, you're getting paid to oppress people." You don't even have to do anything. Just be like, "This is this exists." here in the states with the, the funding they get while schools are closing and public transit's closing and people can't get hou housing and healthcare it's just ridiculous anyway people in France went they rioted as they often do and the government in France was like okay let's let's take a step back maybe we, we won't do this we won't do this so that was that was positive again it shouldn't have happened in the first place but you know it's like this thing where where like if ever it's People are doing everything they can simply just to stay alive. And often they the victim blaming thing, pointing the finger. Oh, how dare you? How dare you riot because you're trying to stand up against an authoritarian regime? How dare you? Anyway, some positive news. Uh, this is from People's Dispatch. And I think it's also uh, one has to find outlets that are going to provide, I'd say, unbiased to the best of one's ability, or at least not a pro-authoritarian standpoint. I think that can be difficult. So I did find this. This is from a site called People's Dispatch. There's a fist in the air. Um, so, and the uh, photo has farmers from India with uh, the red flags at the home residency. So I'm going to assume that this is a, a story that uh, has some compassion for 250 million people participate in countrywide strike in India. This is written by People's Dispatch here. It came out on November 27th, 2020. 
Despite police repression and the COVID-19 pandemic, workers and farmers and their allies across India participated in the pan-India strike action against the recent neoliberal reforms pushed through by the Narendra Modi government. On Thursday, November 26th, India witnessed the biggest organized strike in human history. How is this not, like, bigger news? I mean, I know why, but, like, let's get it out there. Good news. Over 250 million workers and farmers, along with their allies among students, feminists, and civil society groups, participated in the nationwide strike. The strike coincides with India's Constitution Day, which commemorates the adoption of the Constitution in 1949 and comes in the background of an unprecedented attack on workers' rights and farmers' protections by the right-wing government of Prime Minister Narendra Modi. The protests by farmers in states around Delhi continued late into the night on Thursday and early Friday. Thousands of farmers have broken blockade after blockade and are marching to the city. The police have used water cannons on them repeatedly but have failed to break their spirit. They are expected to reach the borders of Delhi on Friday. Would have been... Uh, last Friday. The strike was organized by a coalition of workers and farmers movements with 10 national trade confederations and the umbrella group. All India Kisan Sangharsh Farmer Struggle Coordination Committee, AIKSCC, that consists over, uh, of over 200 farmers groups across India, women's rights groups, student unions, and various civil society organizations also participated in the strike. The strike also received support from left parties and several opposition groups. Some of the key demands contained in the 12-point charter put forward by the organizers include withdrawal of a series of laws recently passed by the Modi government repealing key labor and farm price protections, a rollback in the recent disinvestment policies in major government-owned enterprises, implementation of existing welfare schemes for rural workers, and expanding welfare policies to aid the masses affected by the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. And they have another photo here. It's got barricades in the middle. There's water cannons. Uh, the water from the water cannons is, like, going over. And there's just a lot of people on the ground. It's an overhead shot. Thousands of farmers, along with members of trade union groups and other movements from across India, also led a rally to the national capital of Delhi. The rally was met with fierce repression from the Delhi police, who made use of a blockade, baton charges, and water cannons to stop the march. Eventually, the blockade was breached. In similar confrontation with the authorities, workers and farmers' groups brought major metropolitan cities like Calcutta and Mumbai to a standstill with sit-ins organized on key transport routes. The industrial and mining belt across East and Central India also witnessed a virtual shutdown. Organizers have stated that the strike is a buildup to more upcoming struggles in the country. The workers and peasants will not rest till the disastrous and disruptive policies of the BJP government are reversed. The strike today is only a beginning. Much more intense struggles will follow, said Papan Sen, General Secretary of Center of Indian Trade Unions, CITU, one of the trade union confederations participating in the strike. The strike comes at a time when the economic fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic has pushed India into a veritable recession exacerbating existing inequalities and deprivation. India's gross domestic product, GDP, has declined by a record 23.9%, while unemployment has soared to an unprecedented 27%. Amidst such an all-around crisis, the right-wing government, led by the Bharatiya Janata Party, has implemented new amendments to labor codes and introduced farm bills that have reversed major historical progresses made in workers' rights and farm protections. 
the, they, then they should feature a photo. There's a person speaking and the caption, lots of folks uh, sitting and listening. Uh, despite police attempts to suppress the strike in several massive rallies, in several, uh, in several cities, uh, massive rallies were held across the country. Members of the Health Employees Union, along with workers of Dwarol, uh, Nehru Port, a major port of India's commercial capital, Mumbai, celebra uh, participate in a strike. And the next photo is a group of people marching, and the uh, caption is, trade unionists blockaded a national highway, the National Highway 31, a major roadway that connects the city of Kolkata in the state of West Bengal. And next is another photo, just folks with flags, many folks standing, masks. Blockade of key railway lines was also witnessed in major cities across India. Pictured here is a blockade in Kolkata. Then there's another photo of folks with signs. Uh, refineries in Assam, the northeastern state rich in oil and natural gas reserve, were shut down by the strike. And next, another photo of many people. Police in the state of Haryana detained participants of the protest rally on their way to the national capital, Delhi. Delhi's two neighboring states of Haryana and Uttar Pradesh coordinated attempts with the Delhi police to prevent protesters from entering the capital. Then next is blockade. Uh, Delhi police blockade at the Haryana Delhi border is the caption. And then there's some photos here of folks protesting, masks, and lots of people. And another caption from one of the photos. In the meanwhile, the protesting farmers held counter blockades in Uttar Pradesh on routes leading to Delhi. Photo, some more protesters, workers protest in Noida, a uh, satellite city of Delhi. Noida. And then, wow, another photo of a march, lots of people, massive protests were also held in southern states. Pictured here is a protest rally held in the state of Telangana. Another photo, textile workers in the city of Kombator in Tamil Nadu. Lots of folks, more uh, pictures as well. Uh, a joint platform of central trade unions, independent federation and associations, one day nationwide strike banner that they're holding. Another photo of workers here, and the caption is, protests were also held across Jammu and Kashmir, which has been under a virtual government-imposed lockdown for over a year, and repressive government policies have made mobilizing extremely difficult. So sending lots of love and solidarity out to all these folks protesting. And again, if you'd like to check out the article, if you go to peopledispatch.org, and I'll be um, coming back to this website. It looks like a really good resource. And we'll also be sharing the link to this article on our webpage, which you can find at weeklyrev.org. All right, um, I've I've lifted myself out of a temporary funk here, and um, that's just—it's so inspiring um, to see this. So I'm going to play some more music. Hopefully, it won't be too depressing. Uh, hmm, this is like kind of a depressing list. We'll see, and uh, <laughs> and then we'll be back uh, with some more news in a little bit. Please do stay tuned.
welcome back to the first video about Mr. Sony. I've heard before that Lydia Liza with Won't Even Do, and before that Aaron Neville heard some noise. <sighs> Alright, what is next on the agenda? How about we, uh, one, one thing folks can do is help NYC drivers launch a platform cooperative. Now here, uh, ugh, of course, I felt, I don't even know how to say my, or vent my anger at Uber and Lyft and a lot of these rideshare and, and other companies that have mistreated their workers and continue to, and then also with the unfortunate passing of Prop 22, uh, it will really, there will be a big blow to worker rights. So... I'm not going to get into it at this moment. However, uh, it's important to support folks who are creating alternatives. One alternative that's already out is uh, homemobiles, so please do find homemobiles if you are in the Bay Area. Um, and this is from uh, New York City. We are a New York City for hire drivers. We are starting our own driver-owned rideshare platform, driver-owned. Your donation pays for unemployed and underemployed drivers to recruit and train fellow drivers for the cooperative. And we'll post a link on our webpage. They are... Uh, so far, they've gotten up to a, a little over $11,000, which is great. It's located in the Bronx. I'll read a little bit about the project here. In New York City, Uber and Lyft run the exploited labor of a 91% immigrant workforce of 85,000 drivers. Through misclassification of drivers as independent contractors, the corporate rideshare platforms seek to turn back the clock on a century of labor and social movement gains and push drivers into poverty by externalizing all vehicle costs onto drivers and taking extortionate commissions on each ride. Even before the crisis, over 70% of drivers had less than $1,000 in savings, a reflection of New York City's deep racial wealth gap and the predatory structure of the rideshare platform economy. Drivers and their allies have organized for change with strikes, protests, boycotts, lawsuits, and legislation. But Uber and Lyft always find loopholes to keep exploiting drivers. Most recently, the largest gig platform spent over $200 million to pass Prop 22 in California, which legalized a sub-minimum wage. Now the pandemic has pushed tens of thousands of drivers out of work. The industry is still down by nearly 40%. We're asking for your help to build back better with a new strategy. Launching a driver-owned alternative to Uber and Lyft, the Drivers Cooperative is poised to launch the first platform cooperative rideshare app in New York City within a month, pending funding for a membership drive. The Drivers Cooperative will, one, immediately boost driver income by returning profits to drivers and establish basic employment rights for workers in the sector, two, provide a second chance to drivers who were deactivated by Uber and Lyft without due process based on specious and often racially based, uh, racially biased customer complaints, three, save drivers money through a credit union partnership that allows drivers to escape predatory vehicle financing. And four, long-term fight for a just green transition to electric vehicles through a Green New Deal for the for-hire vehicle industry. And they have a link where uh, interested drivers can register. The steps, accomplishments to date. One, or just bullet point, uh, elected a board of drivers to guide the project representing the diversity of the for-hire vehicle industry. They have assembled a skilled team of labor organizers, IDG, um, Machinists Union, IWW, ride-hailing operators from Uber and Juno, 
full stack engineers, branding experts and designers, fleet managers and drivers. They've also confirmed a pilot with Cooperative Home Care Associates, the largest worker co-op in the U.S. to provide transportation for home care workers to clients' homes. That's pretty awesome. I used to be a home care worker, so definitely appreciate that. Uh, one, they've won grant funding from Emergent Fund and the Workers Lab. They have completed paid trips paid for by AOC to get early voters to the polls. They have purchased ride-hailing app code and completed customizations for NYC launch. They've engaged more than 1,400 vehicle drivers with more than 100 vehicles, and their goals for quarter one is to be on board with 3,000 plus drivers, raise full seed sound. Excuse me, we're reading things way too quickly right now. Raise full seed round, uh, launch consumer ride hailing service. Why we're we doing it? Funds raised in this campaign will go directly to four hire vehicle drivers to recruit and train new members of the cooperative. We already have a completed app, but we need these funds to pay unemployed and underemployed drivers to recruit and train fellow drivers to build the strength and power of the cooperative. The cooperative will be launching on uh, our own ride-hailing platform. Shown below, it will be in the App and Play Store, available to use in early 2021. With the drivers' cooperative, riders pay less and drivers make more. Because the co-op only takes the amount required to cover its costs, compared to corporate ride-hailing platform to take that take 25 to 40% commissions on each trip so they can return profits to their Wall Street and Silicon Valley investors, respectively. The Drivers Cooperative, TBC, is not just another ride-hailing platform. It is also about using our collective bargaining power to get great deals and lower operating costs for our struggling members. The biggest benefit will be that drivers will fully own this cooperative company. Member owners will elect a board of directors and share in the profits, giving power and voice directly to the people who move quote here from um, Juan Shannon uh, says, a lot of people that are around us believe in what's going on, but they don't have a large amount of money to, to just put in. Crowdfunding with IOD, which is I-O-D-Y, uh, was a way to share in that moment. Again, this is a quote from uh, Juan Shannon from Solidarity of Highland Park, uh, Michigan. And so this link is on IOD.org the link as well help nyc drivers launch a platform cooperative very cool and and also um even if you're not in new york i like the idea of this is that when when folks like this get together and create their own service then it's up it's <laughs> puts out the possibility that others can do the same it's inspiring it's contagious in a good way that's what i meant to say all right moving along oh I'm going to uh, <laughs> play music and rest before I read the other one. Uh, uh, here's some other positive news. Uh, Haymarket Books, which is a great organization. They publish books and have a lot of teach-ins. They are having a day-long teach-in, an online teach-in, next um, Saturday, December 12th. Yes, from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. People get ready. Online teach-in. Haymarket Books. We'll also provide a link here on our website. Join the Center for Political Education and Haymarket Books for a conversation on beating the right, strengthening the left, and building power. And they have online teaching. I'm going to tweet this right now, so put out the word. Provide some information here. And also, Center for Political Education is a great organization that folks can support. And they also have a mailing list, and they have a lot of great events. So please do support them. Lost in all of the tabs that I have open. Where did I go? Where did it go?
this up. All right, let's get back to what I was reading about. Here we go. Okay, so this is happening Saturday, December 12th from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, 6 p.m. U.S. a.m. Uh, or Greenwich, excuse me, Greenwich Mean Time. Hello. Greenwich Mean Time, 6 p.m. to 12 a.m. In the face of violent authoritarianism, deepening economic crisis, and a deadly pandemic, left and progressive movements have doubled down in defense of our people. Over the past two years, the global left has built powerful coalitions engaged in electoral experiments and steadily reshaped the political terrain. What kind of power has been built through these efforts, however, and how do we pivot from defense to offense in the years ahead? Join the Center for Political Education and Haymarket Books for a half-day symposium on Saturday, December 12th from 1 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern Time for a conversation on feeding the right, strengthening the left, and charting a path to power. Register through Eventbrite to receive a link to the video conference sessions the day before the event. The, this event will also be recorded and, ooh, and will have live captions, ASL interpretation, and Spanish interpretation available. Sessions and speakers. Opening uh, plenary featuring Alicia Garza with a special performance by Didi Elefante. Uh, session one, what's left? Building power after the elections. Speakers include Ashley Henderson, Justin Charles, Ali Vargas, and Ajiris Dixon. Session two, if the kids are united, building power against the far right with Marcia Ramos. And session three, build it on up. Tools for the fight. Speakers include the Red Nation, Marisol Ocampo of Left Roots, and Sabiha Basrae of Design Action Collective. More speakers coming soon. While this event is freely available, we ask that those who are able make a solidarity donation in support of this event, programming, and organizing work. Okay. So um, I'll be sharing a link uh, when I'm not talking on the air uh, on our webpage. You can also find it also by going to haymarketbooks.org. Cool. That's awesome. Next up, there is a um, an open letter to Gavin Newsom: hold police accountable and investigate the police killing of Sean Montenegro. And this is written by Maggie Harrison, and this comes from El Tecolote, which I think I'm calling that E L T E C O L O T E dot org, and we'll also share a link to this article on our website. Dear Governor Gavin Newsom. I've been writing this letter since the pre-dawn hours of October 3rd alone in a Sacramento County jail cell, disappointed, exhausted, and full of grief stricken. I could not rest, not then, in the hours before dawn, locked in a filthy cell behind strange bars and quiet recliners. Not now, nearly two months later, with justice so distant. I see with clarity what is so easy for you and our state to do, to jail and criminalize the family of Sean Montalego who speak out in nonviolent protest has waited now nearly six months for accountability for the state-sanctioned murder of her brother, child, and grandchild. They have seen none. Imagine raising a child, witnessing him come to language, laugh, learn to read, fix things, love, work, question, grow into a 22-year-old with potential, with a future, with a role to play in your family, in his school, in his community. And then a tragedy. A police officer misjudges him as a threat. This police officer, who has fired his weapon on four occasions in the last five years, shoots from the back seat of a moving police truck, firing five times through the windshield. That officer serves in a department with a history of brutality, using their firearms to kill 19 people since 2010. 
In this Bay Area city, some officers ritualistically mark their kill, bending the points of their star-shaped badges as a sign of honor. City officials learned of this gruesome tradition and looked away. If this were your child, what would you do? John Monterosa was unarmed, kneeling, hands raised in surrender when Vallejo police officer Garrett Kahn shot and killed him with his semi-automatic assault rifle. The windshield was evidence, and the police union president, Lieutenant Michael Michelini, is on paid leave for his involvement in its destruction. Milano County DA Krishna Abram recused herself from Monterosa's case. California Attorney General Javier Batsera declined to investigate. No criminal investigation is currently underway. Governor Newsom, you have expressed neither outrage nor concern, even after Sean's older and younger sisters and 15 other nonviolent protesters engaged in, a, in the good trouble of an orderly civil disobedience near your home on the four-month anniversary of Sean's death. When asked about the case by a reporter, you noted that you'd asked his staff to take a much more detailed look at his case, claiming, we'll have more to say hopefully very shortly. After the five-month anniversary, when asked again if you would meet with the family, you said, I'm open to that, but let me get the facts on the investigation. Since then, a detailed investigative report, How a Deadly Police Force Ruined a City, has been published in The New Yorker. The facts are available. It's time for empathy and action. Governor, meet with the Monterosa family, his 99-year-old grandmother, his immigrant parents, and his inspiring first-generation sisters who represent our future. Hear them. Guided by their call for justice, leaders in our state can help reckon with the inhumanity that runs deep in policing nationwide. In the wake of George Floyd's state-sponsored lynching, Sean saw that inhumanity. Sean's last communication to his sisters, less than an hour before he was shot, were text messages asking them to sign a petition demanding justice for George Floyd. Governor Newsom, you claim to see the inhumanity. You said, we should and we must condemn systemic racism in your speech on May 29th. You ask all of us that want to express ourselves to do so thoughtfully and gently, but forcefully. The Monterosa sisters and the other 15 nonviolent protesters have complied with this request. You again condemn the legacy of injustice on September 30th, claiming we are just getting started in this state in terms of efforts to improve oversight and accountability in law enforcement. As we approach the six-month mark since Sean Monterosa was killed, the Monterosa family and their growing numbers of supporters in California and beyond feel heightened urgency for accountability. Drop the charges against the peaceful protesters and launch a formal investigation of Vallejo PD for the murder of Sean Monterosa. <sighs> On October 2nd, the Monterosa family and their supporters brought to the governor three clear reasonable demands. California Attorney General must appoint a special prosecutor to investigate the case and Vallejo PD. Officer Jarrett Kahn must be charged and prosecuted for the murder of John Monterosa. Officers involved in the shooting and destruction of evidence must be prosecuted criminally. Governor, you have resolved that California lead the nation. Now you face an opportunity to live up to this ambition. May the words you speak hold weight. So again, this was um, written, um, published in Papalote, folks can find it at lpapalote.org. Um, the, the writer, Maggie Harrison, is a San Francisco parent and community college instructor, alongside Ashley Michelle Monterosa and 14 other nonviolent protesters demanding accountability for the Vallejo police officer who lethally shot Sean Monterosa 
as well as for those who obstructed the investigation. She was arrested on October 2nd, 2020. Well, we will uh, also share this article from El Ecolote on our page, bcrev.org. We're going to take a bit of a break here, and we'll be back with some more news items. few moments to breathe.
enjoyed playing some music today. Mostly just music, not quite playing it. You know what I mean. That was Dessa with the Minnesota Orchestra with uh, Wired. Before that, we heard uh, Wild with Fine Temple. And before that, LCD Sound System with Oh Baby. Got a few more articles you all <sighs> have a deep breath Saturday, December 5th, 11.30 uh, a.m. at Middle Harbor Shoreline Park in Oakland, and that's located at 2777 Middle Harbor Road in Oakland, California. There's a California Consumer Solidarity Car and Truck Rally, hashtag Farmers Protest, 12 p.m. Caravan leaves park for Indian Consulate SF. Caravan returns for rally at Middle Harbor Shoreline at 2 p.m. Face masks are required. Gather at Shoreline Park, uh, then caravan to encircle the Indian Consulate at 12 p.m., returning back to the park for a rally at 2 p.m. For latest news and updates, please text FARMER to 510-201-5665, and there's a no WhatsApp, no WhatsApp button. So again, you can text FARMER to 510-201-5665. I've shared this on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-L-I-M-U-R, and we'll also... Uh, share this on our webpage at weeklyrev.org. Oh, goodness. Got a few articles here that are just like, just <sighs> Next up, I'm going to read a call for Ivy Plus libraries to divest from police and prisons and invest in life-giving resources. And this is from a site, um, Ab LA Ivy. I'm probably mispronouncing this, uh, but it's A B L A, and next word is I V plus, and you can find this at uh, a abla. Oh, I get it. Abla I V. dot medium. dot com, and again, you can find this all in one place. Weeklyrev.org will be up uh, later today. So this is written by the folks at I V. dot plus or at just plus from October twenty seventh. It says it's a twenty nine minute read. So, and right now it's one. 15. Um, so yeah, I'll see how far we can go. There's also just lots more information to share. I might provide some headlines of other articles for folks to check out. Now is the time for libraries to divest from police. Uh, remember to imagine and craft the worlds you cannot live without, just as you dismantle the ones you cannot live within. Quote from Jihad Ventura. In early June, in the wake of the murders of George Floyd in Minnesota, Ahmaud Aubrey in Georgia, and Breonna Taylor in Kentucky, Library organizations and directors issued statements condemning racism and racial violence. A statement from the Association of Research Libraries implored that it is incumbent upon leaders of libraries and archives to examine our institution's role in sustaining systems of inequity that have left black communities and other people of color in the margins of every aspect of our profession. From such statements, meaningful actions have taken place in order to create positive change. We applaud and support. However, we believe Libraries have not gone far enough in this examination by refusing to fully consider our relationship with policing, surveillance, and the prison industrial complex. These library statements do not explicitly name policing itself as the problem, an expression and exacerbation of racial capitalism and violence, despite it being a very real and dire existential threat to black, indigenous, and other people of color, as well as those in the LGBTQIA community. Therefore, we find these statements morally and politically insufficient responses 
without naming the specific problem of policing, these statements not only let libraries off the hook for the many ways in which we have internalized the practices of the carceral state in our profession, but also leave the door open for both sides' arguments or appeals to law and order and encourage dangerous and ineffective reforms. The solution to police violence is not reform, but an abolition of policing in all its forms. Therefore, we call on the leadership of our institution and all of our colleagues to embrace an abolitionist vision of a hopeful, life-affirming future and to immediately begin the work of divesting from police and prisons with the ultimate goal of the complete abolition of law enforcement and surveillance from library spaces, campuses, communities, in short, everywhere. One, support existing students, staff, faculty, and community petitions and movements. I am ooh, realizing I'm talking a lot more than usual on the show. So I'm going to just um, read the headlines here, or the, the headlines, the points. <laughs> oh, I am. Wow. Thank you. Um, and then I'm going to take a break and go to some other articles here. Two, make transparent current police and police-like activities um, in order to support calls for defunding the police and for reinvesting in life-giving services. We first need transparency at all levels of our institutions around existing law enforcement budgets, investments, and activities. Next is three, and there's a lot more information there. Three, join, build, and sustain a world without policing. Many people will acknowledge the harm done by police and law enforcement, but question the safety implications of defunding and divesting from policing on campus. But reporting from police forces show that law enforcement and surveillance do not keep campuses safe. Four, confront the connection between policing and anti-blackness. Abolition of police and prisons is intimately tied to and inseparable from the movement for black lives. If, as our institutions have repeatedly and rightly stated, black lives matter, then our institutions need both to understand and dismantle the white supremacist practices that perpetuate and exacerbate anti-blackness in America. Therefore, we demand that any work related to diversity and inclusion center on abolitionist praxis that admits to and confronts the structural existence and effects of racial capitalism and anti-black state-sponsored violence both within and beyond our institutions. Policing in America was founded in slave patrols, settler colonial violence, and the protection of property, and these remain the ever-expanding and hyper-funded legacies and practices of so-called modern policing, which has shaped our schools, libraries, hospitals, and many other could-be-life-giving spaces and institutions. Without confronting this history and reality, without actively undoing white building, and while building and funding permanent and sustainable futures based in abolitionist praxis and community cooperation, librarianship as a profession and our institutions will remain complicit in a, in a culture of surveillance and violence against BIPOC and LGBTQIA plus lives. Five, divest library resources from police and invest in our communities. Six is ban surveillance technologies in library spaces. Seven, divest from companies that use prison labor. I'll read the conclusion. And again, there's much more information in this. I'm just um, doing my best to get to the major points they're making. Uh, conclusion. We recognize that librarianship, an overwhelmingly li white profession, has systematically marginalized BIPOC, uh, LGBTQIA+, and librarians with disabilities. The conceptualization of our demands would not be possible without the labor and leadership of these very librarians, theorists, activists, and communities. We also recognize the privilege and power held by IV+, and other major research libraries, and thus it is imperative that we use our privilege to speak out against library practices that cause harm. We built from and stand in solidarity with abolitionist movements happening in all library spaces. 
We believe in order to fully embody the ethics of librarianship, it is necessary to align with the practices and aims of abolition. We hope many more voices will join us in signing onto these demands and in this bold and beautiful work of dreaming, demanding, and being in a better world. Reckoning with our own histories of and complicity in white supremacy and anti-black racism is the best interest not only of our institutions and patrons, but our profession at large. Libraries are not neutral, nor should they be silent. What we've heard, seen, and spoken enough, solidarity is not found in statements, but in actions, and the time to act is now. Um, signed, Arthur Lapel from Penn, Allison Clemens, Lynn Carlosso, Deanna Esmail, Amanda Greenstein, Toby Hines, Josh Hahn, Michelle Benalapu, Moncrete Carr, and Kay Knoffel, Allison Thaler, Martha Tenney, Mark Doolin, and there's also links for other folks to sign the petition as well. You can also sign anonymously if you'd like. Solidarity organizations from Columbia, Cornell, Harvard, Johns Hopkins, MIT, Northwestern, University of Chicago, Penn, Yale. We also have to provide a long list of abolition resources. So definitely be sharing this on on the webpage as well. And that's a lot. I wanted to share a few other article headlines here. And then I think I'm just gonna play some music for the rest of the show, just feeling a bit tapped out. Again, this is really, uh, it's just, there's a lot going on in the world. Then, as per usual, I will say that this is just a, this is just one. <laughs> it's not even a week's worth. This is just like a small drop in the bucket of what's happening. This is just news that has made it out that I have, fa you know, that other folks have shared that I have uh, been able to to share with you all here. And this is just a small um, piece of what's happening. And I do find the the folks coming together and speaking out and organizing. So helpful. And I also want to ask, sort of recommend um, No Fascist USA by Hillary Moore and John Stacy. I interviewed them back in March. It feels like a lifetime ago. I've been a bit behind on books. I sometimes read a few at a time, and sometimes I just don't have the mental capacity for some, and I finally finished that one, and it's really good. Highly recommend it. Go get it at uh, Green Arcade Books. And a lot of other places have it. So please do check out that book. And... Um, Two headlines here, one from Bay Area Reporter. They're a little bit on the not progressive side. However, they did share an article, LGBTQ's Back SF Rent Reduction Campaign. Matthew Bogstra, and they came out on the 22nd. Ashley Morrell from Lead Coalition Forms. Members of LGBTQ leaders are supporting his organization and his campaign are part of the hashtag 30 right now coalition one of the organizing uh, conveners is Jordan Davis a transgender resident of a single room occupancy unit who went on hunger strike during the pandemic issue while we support all tenants who are living in SROs thousands of people of color especially black immigrants families seniors veterans and disabled people have been struggling for years to pay exorbitant rents on such small and sometimes possible basis noted the coalition in a post online many are getting by on a meager SSI social security or VA check now with COVID-19, we are trying to shelter in place on the basis of lack of income. More information here. I'll also share this on the webpage. I'm just gonna go through all these other headlines. It's a lot, and uh, if you'd like to read up on them, please do. Congress is deadlocked on COVID relief, but came together to fund Pentagon, fund the Pentagon for $740 billion. Fuck them. 
that's all I got to say about that. This is an article from In These Times and uh, written by Sarah Lazar. It came out on December 3rd, and under, under the headline is, There's Always Money for War, and it's unfortunately true. Next up, under CARES Act, these moms should be home. They remain in COVID safe prisons. That's truthout.org. And they have a photo at the top of the article and a car that says pre her on it in tape. Uh, or tape says pre her is written out on the side of the car. And the caption is prison staff block the entrances as a drive by rally organized by families for justice as healing uh, moves around MCI Framingham. A women's prison hit hard by the coronavirus in Birmingham, Massachusetts, and making them lose money. It was written by Victoria Law. It came out December 3rd. Jeez. Other article I wanted to share, at least the headline of. All right, also from In These Times, healthcare workers are organizing like their lives depend on it. Faced with ongoing PPE shortages and employer obfuscation about deadly outbreaks, more hospital staff are seeing on-the-job solidarity as an urgent need. Herman, and was published on December 1st, and we'll also share this on our webpage. All right, I feel like I'm about to tap out. There's just a lot. Oof, there's a lot. So I'm going to play some music. Again, please do check out uh, webpage weeklyrev.org. I share the articles that I've gone over on the show, so you can read them and share them. You can also follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-N-E-R. I share articles that there as well, often mostly retweeting. And also, please support Mutiny Radio. We are here in the Mission District. And um, if you're interested in doing a show here of your own, renting the space here, you can do so. There are definitely spots available. And also, there's a uh, Venmo Mutant Radio that support the paid dues, and that's how the station stays open. Uh, you can also support the show in particular. I'd greatly appreciate it. We have a Patreon on, on our site. You can also go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev, help pay for the dues, and then keep the website going. I would really, really appreciate it. Thanks to all the folks who do donate on a monthly basis. Really appreciate it. Cool. All right. Well, I'm just tapped out. I'm going to play some more music. And also on the website, we'll we will I will share a uh, link to the playlist here. So it was explained. There we go. Cool. All right. We'll be back uh, next week. Have a great week, everyone.
gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources of the natural world around them to keep us safe. My name is Romeo Tebow of Buxton Revolution and Alone with Rome. And I started Buxton Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do, help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. That sounds appealing to you. I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buxton Revolution Online Skills Festival, an eight-week learning activity designed to work within any setting. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills couldn't have been more pressing, and Buxton Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at Buxton Revolution.
about buying and don't let Kelly buy for you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry scrapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents, the four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wine curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento. 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside mutinyradio.fm here at 21st in Florida, 7 o'clock, outdoor comedy, socially distanced in this street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe, SF. Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 3 o'clock. So keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resource to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to cooperate in extractive volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava mines. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England. Fresh graves among. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes, Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in her back pocket as comfortably as Pahoe Hoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? 
Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out? Side bags and cool stuff? Talk to Under. Go to SkinOnSkins.com. That's S-K-I-N-O-N-S-K-I-N-S.com. You just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather? Go see Under. Everything is handcrafted and Under's faded quality. Fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs. He also does fixes. Maybe you love that jacket. Put the zipper back in. Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out. Well, I want to thank the uh, San Francisco Choir. Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube, better known around the world as L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T, with Mike Spiegelman and Carl. Hi, Carl. Hi, Mike. I'm glad to be here. L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. You know, you can find us by that crazy, catchy acronym on your podcast. Uh, We have a Twitter handle, the same, the same handle. Same YouTube channel, fantastic. 
and uh, we also have a, a Facebook page called Let's Watch Full Life Movie on YouTube. So we also stream first. This episode premieres on MutinyRadio.fm, where we stream first every Sunday at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Go to MutinyRadio.fm. It will send you to a website called PCRCollective.org. Press the speaker, and you can hear us. And you can, What we do is we watch a full-length movie on YouTube with you, and uh, you watch it on YouTube and listen to the podcast at the same time. Or what would happen if they listened to just the podcast and not along with the movie? Well, they would not know what we're talking about, reacting to, and speaking for. It would just be ridiculous. The theme of this podcast is you watch the movie and we riff together. Absolutely. We riff together. And, you know, Carl actually takes the extra time to sync old episodes with the full-length movies, feature-length movies. And you can find that on our YouTube channel. Carl, I see there's two new entrees uh, posted since last we've spoken. I see Surf 2, which, as you know, is our favorite movie yeah. from 1984. And I can see my headshot at the screen grab. That photo was taken on September 12, 2001, huh. because the uh, previous appointment on Tuesday, September 11, 2001, it got, it got canceled. Uh -huh. We got to do it the next day. That's me smiling the day after the World uh, Trade Center went down. Gotcha. And then uh, we also have a 1968 Revolution, which is a fantastic documentary about the Haight-Ashbury back in the day of the Summer of Love. And speaking of Summer of Glove, look at me with a fist and my wedding band uh, on an old promotion I did with my good friend Ian Jensen. That's the other guy for our old show, Laugh, Damn It, at 50 Mason, which, is, of course, no longer exists. All right, well, enough formalities. Uh, Carl, what is the movie this week? We are watching Mr. Billion, 1977. That's what you're going to put in your YouTube search engine. Mr. M.R. Period Billion, 1977. And the channel we like is called Super B Movies. We love Super B Movies. Okay, so I just typed it in, and I hit pause, uh, and I pulled the time clocky thing back to zero, zero, zero. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a countdown, and all of us are going to press it when the countdown king himself, the maestro of descending new world, for Sunday afternoon, Carl's man crush, please, let's get ready to Brumbaugh, Paul Brumbaugh. Good evening, Paul. Good evening, guys. How are you doing, Carl and Mike? All right. Doing great quarantine, sheltering okay. in place. There yeah, you go. Man. It's so weird because I'm usually right there with Mike. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing well, Paul. Yeah, I miss you, buddy. I miss hanging out. If you want to hear more Paul Brumba, you should listen to more Paul Brumba. He is to the show the streams right before us on Mutiny Radio Sundays at noon, and you can find his podcast called The Edge of Insanity. I'm doing all right, Paul. Awesome. And, I, and yeah, I definitely miss being in the studio. We all love Pam Benjamin, so we got to give a shout-out, of course, to Pam Benjamin, our guardian angel manager yeah. of Mutiny Radio. And uh, give her a shout-out. Go to Venmo and please donate to at Mutiny Radio. Uh, we would like to last for the rest of the year. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, please, Mr. Countdown, count it down. All right, you, All right, you guys. You know the drill. Let's do this thing in true style. Let's do this thing in three, two, one, go. Right, right to a graduation scene. No credits. 
Now, you know, you recognize that building, Paul, right? Isn't that 555 California? It is not, is it? In San Francisco. Oh, it's it is San movie. Francisco, that's yes. The Trump, that's, the Trump, that's the Trump slash Microsoft building that used to be the old towering inferno. That's right, the towering inferno. The they movie? used the plaza for this movie. Although, although yeah, you know the you are, that's right. right. Yeah, so I was on the 50th uh, floor. So there's the second floor, third floor. Uh, I guess you're not going to see me in this movie. And also the pursuit of happiness with Will Smith. That was the lawyer job he got. It was in 555 right. California. Fuck that building. Triple nickel, as they would call it. Listen, what we missed is the emblem of the financial company slipped off the building and killed the CEO. What a way to go. Yeah. He died by his own logo. Oh. So now we have Jackie Gleason, who is number two in the company, reading his last will and testament, expecting to be given control of the company and all the money, but it doesn't go to him. Uh-oh, you can tell by his face. All right, and it goes to what? It goes a to Bill Falcone, his only living relative, a guy who he never met, who never asked him for a penny. Oh, Mont his name is Guido Faldoni. A pair of American cowboy boots. <laughs> now we have the most 70s music ever. There's Guido. Okay, now, Guido is driving a very expensive rich person's car, and that's supposed to give you the impression like he's a rich guy, but he's not at all. He's actually a repairman who oh, fixes those cars. Shit, I, was, I already have a date plan with him, Carl. Why don't you tell me beforehand? <laughs> shit. Mr. Billion, look at that. That looks like solid billion. Yeah. Mr. Billion. He is Mr. Billion. You see how the door opens like a la... Uh, like uh, Back to the Future, you know? There he is in his, his jumpsuit. Yeah, he's wearing a space a time travel spacesuit. Mm -hmm. Oh my god. So he's does he speak English in this movie? Yeah, he's good at English and he learned it from watching cowboy movies. You see, this guy's real name is Terrence Hill, and he was very famous for spaghetti westerns in Italy, and he was one of the most famous actors in all of Europe. And so this was the attempt to bring him to an American audience, and it didn't work. I was going to say, attempt failed, because otherwise it would be like, oh, shit, it's Terrence Hill's American introduction. Right. Tim Pickens and William Winfield. It makes me think of Beckham, who was the greatest soccer player in the world, loved him. He said, came to the United States, and people go, eh, whatever. Well, you know, this is the part of the 70s where soccer was mandatory and everything. Mm-hmm. We went to uh, we went to Giant Stadium and saw a soccer game. Oh, how was that? Boring. <laughs> it suckered. Sucker, 1977. Okay, listen, I must step away for one game. second. Michael, please entertain the crowd. I'm very sorry. All right. Hey, Paul, doesn't the nuns look like two penises? Oh, too late. It got swiped away. 
There's a Maisie dog. Paul dropped. I'm sorry about that, too. Oh, Paul dropped? I can handle it. Why don't you go to the bathroom? I'm going to hang out in Italy. Holy shit. My fat ass would not be able to fit through those tiny streets. Look out for the camera, bicyclist. He is one cool hill. Hill. Terrence Hill. T. Hill. Will. Still. Yeah, see? There's his cowboy motif. He sure loves his anonymous cowboys. And how'd you get your wallpaper from Animal Crossing? Cowboy wallpaper? All right, check it out. He's got a TV and a couch. No, a chair. TV chair. Hey, Terrence Hill, keep your window open when you take your shirt off. Look at this. This is more of a movie set. What a beautiful house. It was actually barking dogs. I had to let them in. Okay. Oh, so, yeah, let those dogs in. So what's so going Carl on? Carl let the dogs in. We're getting an inside joke, you see, because he is famous for all these cowboy movies. Okay? So right. his character loves cowboy boots and loves cowboy movies. How meta. You know, I never met a humor I didn't like, Carl. <laughs> Look, a German shepherd in Italy, I think he's a little lost. You <laughs> took a wrong turn in Albuquerque. That's the second Manzi dog they had in the street. What kind of Italian town? They got to keep the food away from the dogs. They eat out in the alleyway and they kiss and forget it. Oh, that's Lady and the Tramp. I'm sorry. Right. An Italian one. Okay. These are American executives who are here to meet Guido. And they're like. Right. Guido Falcone. Guido Falcone. I'm looking for a guy named Guido. Yeah, be careful. Tread lightly. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Guido, <laughs> as you know, is an Italian slur, but nobody in this movie thinks so. They think it's just a, a name. Right. No, I know, like, uh, another... Have you noticed that the word Fredo has been used disparagingly? Like how the president called, I guess, Chris Cuomo Fredo? Like that's an insult because he's well, the, I mean, the weaker brother. Yeah, that was a pretty bad insult. Okay, he, so Jackie Gleason has come all the way to Italy pretty much to con Guido and to get him to sign power of attorney papers so that yeah. he can get Guido's money and control of the company. This is crazy. You'd be like, oh, my God, Jackie Gleason, I loved you at Huddy Wooters. Exactly. I still see you have a flower in the lapel. You're killing it. He's I'm not Jackie Gleason. Flower I'm in his lapel, doesn't he? Yeah, flower in the lapel, you know, a classy guy. He's got a handkerchief already in case he needs to sneeze. Or... Covered. And he can sneeze away because he doesn't have a full mustache either. He's got that classic uh, Jackie <laughs> Gleason right. little pencil mustache. Now, the other guy with him is named Leopold Lacey. He, uh, as an, you know, in the, as a character. And he is the third. He's basically Jackie Gleason's right hand. And what's tragic, just to bring you down, is he died of leukemia a month after filming. Ha, 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 ha. Why? Yeah, why are you laughing? <laughs> uh, Carl, that's the side of you I never see. I just, because Listen, well, we can... bummed out when you hear. I mean, the movies you pick are so old. Of course, everyone's dead, but this guy's fresh dead. 
You know what? Listen, when we make our movie, National Lampoon's Open Micer, <laughs> remind me not to finish it. Let you know the film production. Because I'll be dead in a month. You know, you know. Bingo. Yeah. He never did. They, they went to him and they said, listen, this movie's going to be a hit. How's the movie? Oh, it's great. It's killing it in America. <laughs> oh, yeah, let me take a newspaper. Well, maybe not today. <laughs> okay, so. Wow. He just said, everyone, I'm going to America, and they all cheered, you know, and uh, he's not falling for Jackie Gleason's sign my power of attorney paper, but he's like, well, how did you learn English? And he said, from watching all these cowboy movies. So now we're going to get a not funny situation in which he pretends he's a cowboy. Well, look at There's the music. Bah, wah, wah. Yeah. Now here comes his co-star, the villain. Oh, right on cue. Right. That little kid heard the song and got his... I gotta get my gun, that song's playing. And Jackie Gleason is like, what the F is going on here? He thinks it's so crazy and stupid. Carl, the last time I saw a kid draw a gun on me, it was when I told my kid to go to bed. So it's crazy to see in the movie. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been since last night. That kid's a dead aim. I think he's in trouble. Last time I saw someone draw a gun on me, it was my tattoo artist. <laughs> Bam! He's shot! Yeah. Wasn't that yesterday morning when you got your tattoo? Right. Yeah. But I was wearing no line. a mask. <laughs> he is a shot. Oh, the blood. You know this is a movie because okay. nobody's going to stain their shirt like that. Well, also, there's three fucking tomatoes on a plate. What kind of fucking restaurant is this? It's Italy. You know, hey, it's, I like the tomato plate. If, if you are in Europe and you ask for a salad, they don't bring you, like, vegetables on a lettuce they bring you a plate with some vegetables and a knife serious so it's like a whole tomato say or like a, a carrot and a peeler yeah it's like no peeler it's like yeah you get like a radish and a carrot and a you know celery stick <laughs> and and a knife uh... i went out of the house for this i wore my best mask for this <laughs> You know, uh, San Francisco had the same kind of bullshit. They were offering for dessert. There was a restaurant that was offering a pear. And what it was was a pear on a plate. And you got to cut it up or what? Or eat it with your hands. Rip off. What if it's not 100% ripe? Yay, everyone loves this performance. Except for Jackie Gleason. It, 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 yeah. And away I go. <laughs> so I saw an interview with the director. And okay. the director's name, Jonathan Kaplan, and he had made this very famous, this good movie called White Line Fever. It made a lot of, uh, it was a, a commercial success. It was like a melodrama about truckers, believe it or not. So they get, they so the white you, line is what? Yeah, white line wait, fever. Break down the so it's not cocaine, it's the line of the, uh, in the freeway the when high, you're driving yep. your truck. Exactly. And they said you could do anything you want. And they, he thought 
He was sold by this guy's manager. Bringing this guy to America would be perfect. So look, he takes the contract and he's sitting on it. 